We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Big Blue Banter podcast. It's just me right now, Nicholas Filato. Dan cannot join me in this preview of the Washington football team with Jamul Forrest, A.J. Thompson, and Dre Down. On the Trap or Dive podcast, we did a Twitch stream, so it was just me in that interview, and I wanted to get that MP3 and convert it into a podcast for Big Blue Banter, so that's what we're doing here. Here's the interview on the Trap or Dive podcast with three individuals who cover the Washington football team. So, ladies and gentlemen, joining us tonight on this episode, as I mentioned a thousand times, we have Nick. Uh, Nick covers the New York Giants for SB Nation and Sports Illustrated. And is also the host of Giants podcast, Big Blue Banter. Uh, Nick, Big Dog, how are you feeling today? Everything good with you? Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on. How's everyone doing today? All, yeah. Are you guys all Washington football fans? Yeah, we're over here yes, trying sir. to make sense yeah. of this this, uh, <laughs> this aftermath of the, the Chargers game, man. It, it wasn't pretty on our end. Um, the, the, these guys uh, were, were left with question marks for the offensive coordinator the defensive coordinator, and even some of the players. So it was kind of a mess, man. And uh, obviously we know that you you are all in on the, the New York Giants. You cover them. Uh, you are a fan of the team as well. Uh, yeah, well, see, we, see the, we see the thing in the background. Um, so so let's go ahead and, and get your thoughts on uh, the game against the Broncos. Obviously we're, we're both in 0-1 holes. Um, your, your, your biggest takeaways from the Giants' performance against the Broncos this past Sunday, where are you at with this one, uh, Nick? I would say disappointing would be my biggest takeaway. I'm, I'm currently not fully through the all 22. So from an X's and O's standpoint, I'm just kind of going off of the broadcast film that I witnessed. And I think 
the most disappointing thing about the Giants was the defense this time around, which is something that Patrick Graham, our defensive coordinator, just had locked down last year. The, the zone defense that the Giants implemented throughout the 2020 season superseded what many Giants fans expected. Now, during the offseason, we expected a more man coverage oriented approach, and we saw bits and pieces of that in week one, and it did not go all that well whatsoever. I mean, it just led to Teddy Bridgewater and Pat Shermer, our former head coach, carving through this giant secondary. And Teddy Bridgewater, I got to tip my cap to him. He did an excellent job. He was hitting his back foot and releasing the football to the many skilled position players that the Denver Broncos have. And the Giants defense, specifically on third and fourth down, they converted all three of the fourth down attempts that the Denver Broncos tried. They were just inefficient. They were uh, allowing the uh, – the offense to to convert and just continue to move the chains and keep the Giants pretty, you know, unimaginative offense on the sidelines. And it, that was probably the most disappointing thing was the defense. Now, I expect them to come out on Thursday night and really rectify all of those issues because they have a lot of really great leaders on that defense. Logan Ryan, Blake Martinez, Leonard Williams, James Bradbury. I think they're a really talented group, but it was a disappointing week one loss to a 5-11 and 11 team last season. And as for the offense, I mean, it was a lot of what we expected. Bradley Chubb did not play in the game, so that was a really uh, good thing for the New York Giants, I guess you could say. But Von Miller had his two sacks. The defensive line was disrupted. The Giants couldn't establish the run. Jason Garrett didn't really tweak his 2020 offense that ranked 30 first in the league the only reason it wasn't 32nd was because Adam Gase was a head coach yeah so from an offensive standpoint I mean the Giants really only scored seven points the last you know the last play of the game Daniel Jones had a rushing touchdown I thought Daniel Jones was Daniel Jones he's a, he's a roller coaster guys I mean he's he's up and then he's down but the ups aren't high enough for 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 me personally but I still think he he showed some good um just identifying things pre to post snap is something that he was never that great at. And I feel like there were a couple plays in this game where he was able to do that. Now, continuing that against Jack Del Rio's defense and y'all's, you guys front, it's going to be a little bit difficult, to be honest. But overall, I think many Giants fans would just say it was a very uh, disappointing opening week one. And I mean, the Giants, I think if they lose on Thursday Night Football, this would be the ninth out of 10 years where they start 0-2. It's, it's been pathetic. Well, I mean, we you know, you know what the problem is. <laughs> you know what the problem is. What's up, you Alfred? Daniel, you have Daniel Jones as your quarterback and Jason Garrett as your play caller. Mm. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the three the three things a lot of Giants fans were concerned about. It's something that myself and Dan Schneier talked about on our podcast, Big Blue Banter, was the offensive line. They're all very young. Not one of them is a proven starter in the league. Not one. That's very concerning. Jason Garrett, unimaginative, not very creative, loves to call Y-stick, loves to call spacing concepts, loves to call stagnant routes that break back towards the quarterback. And then Daniel Jones, good athlete, flashes, mistake prone. That's not a formula for a potent offense. And that's why we saw them basically only put up seven points against Denver. You know, it's crazy. I actually, and, and when you were talking, like, I felt like, because I was watching a game earlier today, and it's crazy how his best drive, or one of his best drives was literally on the, the drive that he fumbled. It, it was mm -hmm. leading up to a really good drive. He had a lot of momentum, some really good throws, some tight spirals. He drove the ball to, uh, I think it was Sterling uh, on the deep end, on the deep end route, I believe. And, um, and as you said, he, he just kind of, he gets in his own way. Uh, you have a good drive, and then all of a sudden it's gone, just like that. Uh, so my thing is, 
uh, how is Joe Judge handling all these things? In my, in, in your opinion, when, when I speak, when I speak on Joe, I'm, I'm meaning from Daniel Jones inconsistency, uh, the lack of scoring. Because from what I understand, 17 games where Jason Garrett has been the head coach, uh, 20 points or less in 10 of those games. Um, how is how is he dealing with these things, the close losses, but also trying to manage the locker room? How has things been coming along with Joe Judge in these aspects? Joe Judge, I think nationally, a lot of people kind of treat him as a punching bag a little bit. You guys could probably speak a little bit better to that than than I can, just because, you know, he's a hard-nosed guy, comes from that New England type of uh, background. There's a different feel around the Giants with Joe Judge than there was with Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer, if I'm going to be honest. Like, I actually like Coach Judge. At the end of the day, you have to win football games, so that's, you know, the recipe for success for anything. But I actually like how he presents himself in front of the mic. I think he's very, very well-spoken with the media. I think he always says the right things, and he's very um, kind of on top. He's never stumped at the podium, which is something I feel like Pat Shermer whenever he was at the podium and a media member would ask him something, he would just be like, well, you're not a football coach. Like he would like essentially say that. And it's like, well, that's not what you do in the New York media. Joe judge always says the right things. I feel like the team really buys in to the message that Joe judge sells. I think Dave Gettleman got the personnel on this team that would ensure that they wouldn't be locker room type of problems. Guys like Logan Ryan, guys like Leonard Williams, players like that, that are going to buy into the system. And I feel like that's all well and good. The Jason Garrett and the offense thing, I mean, John Mara, Giants owner, loves Jason Garrett. He just loves Jason Garrett. And I, and I think that kind of comes into this a little bit because it, you looked at that offense last year. You can make a lot of excuses, personnel, young offensive line. And I think there's merit to all of those excuses. But at the end of the day, you don't create any explosive plays. And, and Joe Judge, along with Freddie Kitchens, who's on staff, they also brought in a bunch. Of, they have the biggest coaching staff in the National Football League. They have to try to figure this out. I think... Uh, in terms of judge, just to go back to um, what I was saying about the uh, the players on the team, I feel like they really do respect him. There's there's things that judge does. Yes, he has the hard nosed approach and everything like that. But I remember Derek Dillon. He was an undrafted free agent out of LSU, a wide receiver. His his um, fiance, I believe it was, had a child, and Joe Judge waited for him to get paid and then released Derek Dillon just to add him back to the practice squad in a week. And he did this so Derek Dillon can miss week one because he was just going to be on the practice squad anyway. So he can miss week one and go home to see his family and see his newborn baby. And that caught a lot of people's eyes because the Giants could have just cut him and saved money. But instead, from a human element, he was like, hey, we're going to release you. We're going to wait for the deadline. You're going to get paid. Then you can go home and then we'll sign you back in week two. And that's exactly what ended up happening. And I feel like things like that resonate in the locker room. I feel like he, he has a much more, um, much more connection with his players than he's probably given credit for. Actually, a really, a really good situation story. Because that's part of the business side. We say like the NFL business is... is... Uh, can get brutal but that's something that you know you don't really hear about uh that often i guess unless you 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 speak to these type of people speak to you um who who actually can get into the depths of things that outsiders just really don't know um all right so in terms of the game uh 20 rush attempts 60 yards for the giants offensively 27 of those yards obviously came from daniel jones um the, the the mobile daniel jones we understand that the offensive line for new york is kind of in flux from an outsider's perspective um and we know that the the denver's defense is pretty good um in your opinion was this more of a giants issue or was this something where uh the broncos just really did a, a really good job against the the new york giants uh, uh front excuse me 
I feel like uh, it's probably a combination of both. I mean, the Giants down the stretch of last season, they were able to establish the run at a solid manner with Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris. So now you have Saquon Barkley back. He's knocking off the rust. I feel like he probably missed a couple holes just from the broadcast film and a little bit of all 22 that I was able to see. There's probably certain holes that I feel like Saquon Barkley would have been able to, like a fully healthy Saquon Barkley would have been able to hit and it probably would have been a, a bigger gain, a bigger play. But still, the offensive line, it always does kind of seem like they, they miss one assignment, and that's all it takes, obviously, to blow up an entire rushing play. But I wanted, I don't want to just sell the – I mean, the Giants did not play well. That's obvious. But the Broncos played well. So, yeah, I really want to give them credit, too. But it's a, it's frustrating with Saquon Barkley because we've seen two and a half games of him in this, in this Jason Garrett offense, and then he got injured. The injury, incredibly frustrating, but you hope that he comes back healthy and he's now ostensibly healthy, should play on Thursday night football. That's great. But against Pittsburgh, week one last year, he had 15 carries for six yards. Against Denver, he had 10 carries for 26 yards. Jason Garrett is a more, I guess you could say, power gap oriented type of uh, play caller in terms of his rushing scheme. And we saw that uh, in this game with, a, you know, halfback toss with a lead tackle and Nick Gates kicking out. We saw some G lead. We, we didn't see any counter, I don't think, in this game, which was a predominant run play, the uh, GH counter that the Giants love to run in 2020. We didn't see that with Saquon Barkley. But I feel like the power gap system fits Saquon Barkley very well because Saquon Barkley, if he has any struggles, it's probably his decision-making ability and his decisiveness in terms of hitting the hole. So I think that's something when the Giants do implement some zone type of runs that he struggles with a little bit. Now, if you give him a defined hole, tell him to hit that, he can use that incredible athletic ability and just make a alley defender miss in space. And then the next thing you know, you have a 60 yard touchdown run. I think that's well within something that Saquon Barkley can do, but overall, man, I think the giants offensive line just isn't all that great right now. Saquon Barkley is a little bit hesitant and I'm a little concerned to, uh, to see how this, how this Giants offensive line can establish the run against this Washington front because you guys are potent. And I remember last year watching the All-22, Deron Payne, and I love Nick Gates, but Deron Payne just owned Nick Gates in both of those matchups. I mean, he's a, he's just a beast. Another beast. And then Montez Sweat and Chase Young. I mean, those two are two of the premier pass rushers in the National Football League. And then your linebackers, I wanted to ask you guys about it. How did uh, Jamin Davis look in his opener? Because Cole Holcomb is like your main linebacker. Is that correct? AJ, take the floor with this one. We were just talking yeah, about I mean, uh, Yeah, Cole Holcomb is the main linebacker. But honestly, none of the linebackers look good. But Jamin Davis, the first-round pick uh, this year, he was getting pancaked out there. It was pretty much like he was getting baptized. Uh, same with the, the right tackle. Uh, the second round pick Cosme out of uh, Texas. Uh, so the linebacker position is, is definitely of concern for the Washington fan base. Um, yeah, we have no clue how that's going to play out all season long. Um, I don't believe Jamin got the start, but they rotated him in. But you wouldn't have even known he was out there unless he looked for his number and, and seen him on the floor. That was it. <laughs> he pretty much <laughs> couldn't take on any blocks. See John Bostic still playing a considerable amount of snaps as well. Yeah, that's the concerning part as a Washington fan because it's like he's not good at all. I don't care how much he can communicate on the field. If you can't play the position and cover your man or the passing lanes, you know, you kind of leave the middle of the field wide open. So in my opinion, we were talking about it before you came on, how I feel like if Bostic is below average, you might as well start your rookie and let him get the reps, even if – 
even if he fails, at least you can understand like, hey, we either need to go out here. There's a there's a linebacker on the market, uh, McKinley, who played for uh, Miami and Texas in the past. Like, you need to figure that out and address that position immediately because you're literally exposing the middle of the field with these linebackers that you have on the team. And teams are just going to eat it up with their tight ends and running backs and slot receivers. It's just going to be a nightmare. And that's what I'm concerned about with this game because um, you guys have Kadarius Toney, uh, Sterling Shepard is pretty good in the slot. Um, and if these linebackers don't step up and help out the, the nickel or the safeties, however they plan on playing uh, sub-nickel packages, it's going to be a long day. And Dave Jones Don- Don- is going to be able to eat up the middle of the field. Is um, Evan Ingram supposed to play this week? Man, I was just about to bring up Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is somewhat of an enigma, I would say, within Giants, like within all the Giants fans and how people view him. A lot of people can't stand him because he's made so many big mistakes and he hasn't lived up to that first round billing. But I would love to have him in this matchup. And I don't think he's going to be available. He's still nursing that calf injury. I'm not 100% certain if he's been ruled out quite yet. But it's trending towards him not playing. And I think he would be an excellent mismatch type of player in the middle of the field against Bostic and Holcomb. And I would be interested to see what Jack Del Rio was going to do with Jamin Davis to see if he wanted to try to eliminate Evan Ingram in the middle of the field with him and maybe get Davis on the field a little bit more. But that also leaves... Davis may be susceptible if he's not fully there from a mental processing standpoint in terms of running the football. So I was looking forward to that chess match right there, but it doesn't appear like we're going to receive it. And instead, we're going to get... Kyle Rudolph, who, I mean, I like Kyle Rudolph. It's a much easier matchup. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I will say, within Jason Garrett's scheme, I do believe Kyle Rudolph can be a better tight end for the Y-stick type of uh, routes that Jason Garrett loves to run because he can concentrate on the football and he can put his foot in the ground, turn back Daniel Jones and secure the football. And that's just something that Evan Ingram just cannot do. And it's so damn frustrating because Ingram is such a good athlete, but he just hasn't put it all together yet here in New York, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think the issue, um, and, and Dre had some questions for the defense, but one one quick thing since we're on the topic, the, the linebackers having issues covering the flats and understanding their responsibilities and also understanding uh, what what's like, for example, this this is the best example that we can talk about. Um, have you had a chance yet to, to see the Chargers in Washington game at all? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I, I watched about, I think, the first half okay. of it on both sides. Okay. All right. So third and 16. Matter of fact, just look at this play. The third and 16 on the final drive of the game. Um, you'll, you'll see everything that you need to know about the linebackers and John Bostic. Um, Keenan Allen's on the, 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 slot, the slot on the right side. Uh, and he's simply running up the seam, seam route. Just plain and simple. Um, but the concept, I guess, the, the way that the Chargers gave it, but also the protection kind of kind of worked out well for their end. But at the end of the day, uh, Bostic didn't know his responsibility. Um, he, he took the flat when he was supposed to. It, I would I would imagine it looked like he was supposed to stay with Keenan Allen a little bit longer. Um, and, and Keenan Allen ends up going free behind him. So I think one of the things that would have helped with Evan Ingram uh, was was obviously the speed factor. Um, I, I didn't know to what detail you all felt about Evan Ingram because I don't I don't watch every single week. But obviously, you guys you guys got your frustrations. But uh Kyle is, is in a position where he could kind of he can take advantage of the linebackers. Um, but I think the the only thing that'll kind of help out Washington in this matchup is the fact that uh these linebackers who can't cover worth a damn can at least keep up with them if they make a mistake. And that's the only that's the only thing that's gonna keep them inside uh keep them within this matchup, uh the linebackers and tight ends is uh, it's just being able to keep up with them from a speed perspective. Outside of that, if they were moving a little bit quicker, I don't think these linebackers would even understand what hit them. I really uh, – I, I think the Giants and hopefully – because Jason Garrett, he's not a dumb guy. I don't yeah. think he's a great offensive coordinator, but, I mean, he's he knows football, obviously. I think we're going to see a lot of reduced splits, significantly reduced splits with Sterling Shepard tight to the line of scrimmage trying to gain some sort of advantage with his athletic ability and his – He's, he's a really, really good route runner. And I don't think he gets national notoriety either because he's been on a, you know, bad Giants offense for so long. And he's also been dinged up. But Sterling Shepard's a good player. And I think he's going to be a pivotal part of this game plan. Um, I know you guys have Kendall Fuller right now. How, how has he been? Because I remember when he was like one of the top slot backs in the league. And I don't think he is anymore by your reaction. <laughs> Dre, Dre, you got that one. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, Kendall Fuller, um, he actually – he had a pretty decent year last year, especially early on. He caught fire. But that first game was pretty brutal for him, man. Um, tackling was an issue. He was getting targeted quite a bit. Like, San Diego was picking on him. Him and the rookie cornerback, Ben St. Juice. But I thought Ben St. Juice probably had a better job of, in coverage than Kendall Fuller did. But St. Juice as well had issues with tackling. But I think Fuller was one of the worst-rated defenders on that defense on uh, Sunday. It's good to hear. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm in good company right now. You guys aren't. We, look, we're, we're, all, we're all in the same boat right now. You thought I was playing. It's not good at all. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, and it was weird, too, because Jack Del Rio, does he, like, um, does he allow passes kind of to be funneled towards the flats like a lot of the Gus Bradley type of defensive coordinators 
Is it is, is he one of the uh, deep? I know he runs like a solid amount of man coverage. He's, I don't think he's known for like cover three, like uh, like the Gus Bradleys of the world. But I saw Austin Eckler didn't have one reception, so I was like, I'm wondering if they took away the. I'm wondering if the Washington's defense took away those short passes because it seemed like it seemed like Herbert just did whatever he wanted though at the same time. Like, what is what is the philosophy of Jack Del Rio? Well, I think the the scheme of the Chargers going into the game was just like run and shoot, pretty much. They weren't looking to attack the flats. They were more so looking to attack the middle of the field because they knew the linebacker play was was bad, and they were also hitting on outside routes to, on on the corners. Uh, so that's why Austin Eckler didn't have you know a bunch of pass receptions and yardage because uh, I mean they were literally able to do whatever they wanted to with Mike Williams. Um, uh, what's his name? Guyton, number 15, yeah. Cook. Like, they didn't even need to think about throwing to the flats because everything else was open. Uh, you know, Kendall Fuller did have a tough day. Even, uh, I talked to, I talked to Ben St. Juice after the game. He, he, he felt like he missed a couple plays out there. I thought he was in position to make a couple plays, but didn't get his head turned around in time. Um, yeah, I mean, with Jack Del Rio, I think, I think he's trying to make an adjustment with the signing of William Jackson uh, from Cincinnati. I think they probably do want to play more press man. It just wasn't in that game plan on Sunday. It was some cover three. It was a lot of off coverage. That's why Herbert was able to just dink and dump all day. He took day. advantage he of the had, off coverage all day. Yeah. yeah. Short so five to seven coverage, out routes, all that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't know if they were scared for their corners or what. Uh, but that's why week two will be very telling to see how he plans to go forward. Because the Jack Del Rio I'm used to from the Denver days and even Oakland played much more press man coverage. And I thought that was the main reason why they went out and, and, and signed William Jackson in free agency and drafted Ben St. Juice because they wanted to have bigger corners and play that press like how they used to with Tlaib, Chris Harris, and Bradley, uh, Bradley Roby back in the day in Denver. Um, so I guess it'll, it'll be very telling. I mean, you guys have a lot of wide receivers with Kelly, uh, Kenny Galladay, Tony, Sterling Shepard, uh, and, and even Slayton. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how they plan on playing them coverage-wise. But I think we really don't know the identity of the secondary with Washington. We know what the front four can do, but we don't really know what the secondary can do because it's kind of all over the place. They're playing three safety, some downs, and two corners. Uh, some downs, three corners and, and two safeties. You know, you got Curl playing nickel at times. You got Bobby McCain playing deep half. Like, it's kind of all over the place right now, and they really haven't, you know, figured that portion out. Let's surmise it this way. Um, it's like, and, and my bad, Jerry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's like this. You good. You good. You good. You good. When, when you're at the, the Thanksgiving Day t- uh, dinner um, and you see all the items that you can put on your plate you got this big old plate and you start stuffing the food on it and your eyes get big and then you realize you you put you put a little bit more in there that you that you really really needed um the on on the offensive side and defensive side for Washington um they had all these these pieces that they figured that can work in their scheme and wanted to utilize everything and turned out they didn't know exactly what they were doing with all of them so now they have to come back regroup um, and figure things out from an, a, a different perspective, like to try and streamline how effective these guys can be as opposed to using, trying to use all these players in, in different situations. For example, 
um nick you know about cam curl uh he had a really good season last year uh he wasn't on the field that much in, in week one um they kind of forgot about cam curl <laughs> out of all of the things that you can forget about you kind of forgot about cam curl um so like it was it was rough um and dre i'll let you go but that's that's kind of they, their, their eyes got a little bit too big man Oh yeah, no, I was gonna um mention the Nick. I was saying we're we're talking about the Washington defense, but I kinda wanna know what's um what happened kind of with the Giants defense because I, I was able to check a little bit of the game out, but not too much of it. But the thing that got me or that stood out to me, like you mentioned earlier, was Teddy Bridgewater. Like Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, he had a hell of a game, man. He was kind of carving up the Giants secondary. And I thought the secondary for the Giants was supposed to be like the the big thing for you all this year. I mean, you you know, you got a couple of guys out there that you were proud to bring in. And was was it a matter of the scheme that was kind of getting these guys out of position? Was Teddy just that good? Or were it was just the players that kind of made mistakes in that game? It was probably all three. And again, I haven't worked through all of the all 22 quite yet to really mm -hmm. give a, a very accurate analysis on that. But from what I saw on the broadcast film, I mean, it seemed like the Giants specifically couldn't hold up in man coverage on short routes over the middle to Albert O and Noah Font. Those two were kind of carving up the Giants. Jabril Peppers, whose snaps were significantly decreased. I think he only played, had it right here. I think Peppers only played like 30 snaps in this game out of 66. Wow. So that's not great. And I mean, you can point to the fact that the Giants have Xavier McKinney now and Xavier McKinney is healthy and Xavier McKinney probably offers you a little bit more than that. one reason why I, I can see that definitely fluctuating and being fluid throughout the season. But when Peppers was out there, he was getting picked on and covered by those tight ends. And I also think Teddy Bridgewater just played one heck of a game. A really weird stat that I ended up seeing, I was sussing through pro football focus stats, and the Giants ranked fourth in individual pressures in the league with like 28 pressures just behind Carolina, Pittsburgh, and the 49ers. And you think about it and you're like, they really, I mean, they did get pressure and they did bring five quite a bit, but... Washington, who has the personnel that you guys possess, you guys had seven pressures. Now, it just kind of goes to show you that pressure stats aren't always everything because sometimes on those plays, the Giants had three or four guys probably accumulating a pressure, according to Pro Football Focus. But Teddy Bridgewater stiff armed Xavier McKinney and then found oh, Albert yes. O for a touchdown <laughs> and or, or another third down and long where he finds a wide open tight end just all by himself. I feel like the Giants defense, they were out there for a lot. A lot of that was on them, but it was really just because the rhythm and time of the Broncos just was better than what the Giants could uh, perform, whether that be man coverage or zone coverage. It's really a tip of the cap to the Broncos. And I do feel like the Giants also had a couple uh, miscommunications. The KJ Hamler drop touchdown was one where Dory Jackson thought he had Logan Ryan over the top. He did not. He allowed for the inside release on the post. And that was a big mistake. The Giants didn't end up paying for it. I mean, this game was close, I guess you could say, up until like midway through the third quarter, but it really wasn't. This should have been a blowout. I mean, Logan Ryan forced a fumble on like the five-yard line of Albert O, and the Giants ended up going three and out, punching the football back. Teddy Bridgewater led the team against this defense down the field in like two minutes and 20 seconds and scored in the final seconds of the first half. So there were a lot of mistakes uh, in this team. I I'm not overly worried about the defense. I actually think they're going to bounce back. And the fact that they're playing Taylor Heineke rather than Ryan Fitzpatrick, I, I don't think that's a huge disparity. You guys probably have more insight than I do on that, but it probably helps them. And I feel like Patrick Graham can devise some trap coverages to try to trap the Taylor Heineke into throwing, you know, up the seam into LeBron's who's kind of beating in a slice type of look. Hey, Nick, I want to ask you something. Oh, yeah. 
No, go ahead, no, go ahead AJ. No, you can go ahead because it's probably defense related. I'm no, I, I had another question, so that's why I said oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to ask him just like, you know, of course we're talking about this matchup Thursday, but how do you feel about Daniel Jones going forward? Do you think that you guys now are going to be better for a quarterback like perhaps Washington in the free agency or draft next year? Where Where is your mindset? being a fan and also covering the team and, and, and how is the fan base feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking this week to week with Daniel Jones. Again, like I said earlier, it, it's, it's been a roller coaster because he does show you potential, but then he keeps making those same mistakes. I also feel like he could be better pre to post snap, something we saw a little bit in week one. But I mean, I think a lot of it's going to ride on how the Giants just perform overall because you have to make a decision on Daniel Jones' fifth-year option next May. And I know myself and my podcast mate, Dan Schneier, we talk about this a lot. It's you don't want to invest a lot of money into a middling type of quarterback, like a la Jared Goff or, or something along those lines. You know, you don't really necessarily want to do that. And Daniel Jones hasn't necessarily proven that he can be the guy, but I think as long as Dave Middleman retains his job and if the Giants win seven or eight games, that is very possible. Then I think Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback. And then he also got to make a decision on Saquon Barkley. Now they picked up his fifth year option, but do you really want to allocate like 18% of your cap to a running back? I don't, I love Saquon, but Giants haven't won any games with Saquon Barkley when he's healthy either. I think it could be a really confusing cap situation and they're really strapped right now. They have some of the least cap space in the league and the teams that are along with them are like Tampa Bay, Kansas city, and all of these teams Winners. who actually compete for Super Bowls. Winners, yeah. exactly. Winners. So it, it's, a, it's a frustrating position to be in. I, I'm not going to say I'm fully off the Daniel Jones wagon because I'm not, but I don't think he has the potential to be a Justin Herbert or a Josh Allen. I don't think that was ever within his cards. I think in the perfect scenario, Daniel Jones can win football games for you if he continues to develop and mitigates the mistakes. But for a mistake-prone quarterback who doesn't have the type of physical traits like a Josh Allen – and who's not developing maybe as quick as some would like, it, it's it's one of those situations where I'm not I'm not I'm still not 100 sold. I'm not 100 certain, but we need to see more. We need to see more. By the end of the season, we need to be like, okay, this guy put it together. Let's let's do this. Second year in Jason Garrett's offense. Jason Garrett's not doing him any favors, by the way. Neither is the offensive line. But uh, I, I can easily see at the end of the season me being like, I think it's time to to start looking because let's not forget. The Giants traded back in this draft. They had a shot at Justin Fields. They could have had Justin Fields. I like the fact that they traded back, and I'm not bashing that decision. I think it's a smart decision to make because now you can have, give Daniel Jones another year, not put that pressure on him. And if it doesn't work, you have two first-round picks for next year. But in two years, Daniel Jones is out of the league, and Justin Fields is competing for MVP. We're going to point back to that and be like, yeah, that was a mistake. So that's just the reality. Yeah, I'm just surprised that you're not all I mean, what Daniel Jones has over forty turnovers in his career. Yeah. Already. I'm um, surprised that you're you're still giving him some hope. I'm trying to is I don't it, I'm not, or is or is it because you guys don't have you guys don't have like a solid number two quarterback as well. So it's like if we if you bench Daniel Jones, <laughs> who's next? I don't even know who your backup quarterback is. It's Mike Glennon. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and 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 I played football against Mike back in the day <laughs> here in Virginia. Yeah, he's trash. So yeah. <laughs> Crush the man's soul, why don't you? Uh, well, if I if I'm gonna be honest, I mean with, with Daniel Jones, yes, the turnovers are an issue. There's there's no um, denying that. He he cut those turnovers down 
solidly, I would say. I think he had 18 fumbles in year one. He had 10 last year, cut his interceptions by two. It's the fact that he keeps making turnover-prone mistakes. Like, I feel like Denver could have had probably two more picks in that game. But it's for me, it's mainly because he hasn't – and the reason why I'm still giving him an opportunity to prove himself and I'm not fully off the wagon, although it doesn't look – all that encouraging is because the offensive line has been just absolute garbage his entire time here. He hasn't had that many skilled position players that have been healthy for him because Evan Ingram's always dinged up. Saquon Barkley missed all last season and had a high ankle sprain in Daniel Jones' first season. And Sterling Shepard was dinged up the last two years as well. So that's probably the reason why I'm still like, hey, let's give a kid a chance. But I do agree. It, it, it doesn't look as promising because of those turnovers and because the fact that he – still make similar mistakes that he should have probably corrected. Yeah, uh, Nick, while we were on the subject of Daniel Jones, I wanted to ask because for two reasons. One, I have him in fantasy. And two, I just <laughs> want to know what we're going to be facing this week. Saquon Barkley, what's the general sentiment on him? Like, I, I mean, I know he didn't do as well as, you know, maybe you wanted him to do week one. But again, first game coming off a big injury. But what can we kind of expect from him this week? Did he look, did he flash anything? He flashed a really nice jump cut that made you go, okay, that's a healthy type of jump cut. You know, one of those Saquon Barkley type of cuts. But he still he seemed a little hesitant to me running the football. And again, not as decisive, which was never really his strong suit. I think he's healthy. I think he's knocking the rust off. And he didn't play too many snaps for the Giants, but that's mainly because the final two drives were the Giants, you know, possess the ball. Actually, he wasn't out there because the game was over. So they put Devontae Booker out there. So I expect him. It's a short week. Joe Judge has already said that he should be playing this game. He's not going to be limited unless the medical staff deem that he can't, which doesn't seem like that's going to happen. You're going to get an explosive running back who is now one game under his belt removed from that gruesome torn ACL. It's something that, I mean, I feel like if these linebackers aren't quick to fill and the blocking holds up, Saquon Barkley can really make the Washington football team defense pay. I think that Jason Garrett has to implement him in the passing game to try and keep Montez Sweat and Chase Young honest on the edge, whether that be slip screens, allow the pass rush to come up, dump it over their heads. Would love to see that. Something I feel like a lot of people who um, watch the Giants want to see more of a utilization of Barkley in the passing game. But I'm, um, I'm, I still think in this game, it's going to be a similar type of game plan than what we saw last year when the Giants squeaked out two victories against Washington. One with a Tay Crowder fumble return for a touchdown where Ron Rivera went for two and did not get it. And the other was the five interceptions or five turnovers, I should say, that the Giants defense got on Alex Smith and the rest of that offense. And that inverted cover two, that Tampa two robber was a great call by Patrick Graham. I hope we could see some more of that against Taylor Heineke because Logan Ryan finished that game with an interception to seal that win. But I expect a slow, conservative offense, a lot of quick game, get the football out of Daniel Jones' hands, slow down that pass rushes and try to establish the run. First down, take your play action shots. And those don't usually yield uh, many great things, but I actually kind of feel like if you get a one-on-one -on -one outside with Kenny Galladay against William Jackson, which feels a solid cornerback, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong there. I feel like Kenny Galladay can win that matchup. So uh, I'm, I, I guess when, in terms of Saquon, I mean, we haven't seen him have that flash play yet. So I don't want to say that that's going to happen, but I think it, it could happen if that makes sense. I absolutely can, especially against the Washington football team where, uh, I was reminded by my good man, Manny, 
Uh, the last time he had a 100-yard game was against this damn team. So um, we know what he can do, for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, what's going on, Cafe? I uh, hope everything's been good with you, boss, man. Um, so, Nick, man, you've been great. Let's go ahead and get it out here with a prediction. Uh, who wins and why? So I think the, I think the Giants are going to win an ugly ugly game and i'm not an optimistic giants fan i'm not an optimistic person who covers the giants i try to be as bad as objective as possible uh, i think this could be like a you know like a 19 to 16 game with a bunch of field goals playing field position where there's going to be like one special team's mistake or defensive uh opportunity by either defense that could sway this game i think it could go either way uh, i don't really read into the fact that washington hasn't beaten daniel jones that really doesn't mean anything to me but I think the Giants defense is going to come out really, really hungry. And before we get out of here, I actually want to ask you guys, how is the offensive line for Washington? Like, what are your guys' takeaways? And how is Eric Flowers holding up for you? Little <laughs> Mr. Eric Flowers. Who wants to tackle this one first? Uh, I mean, probably, probably comparable to Giants' situation. I mean, uh, the only difference is Washington has an all-pro – well, I don't, not an all-pro, but a pro bowl yeah. uh, guard – uh, but they're still trying to figure out things and, and, and playing together. It's, it's a he's all pro. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they're still they're still trying to gel together because I mean, you literally have a change at the left tackle, left guard, um, uh, right guard is the only thing that's been the same, and now you have a right tackle in Cosme, uh, who's brand new. And if you get a chance to watch the San Diego <laughs> Washington game, you're gonna see Cosme getting baptized. Uh, every single player, like, I mean, it was insane. For how strong Cosme is supposed to be, he was getting punished out there by Joey Bosa. Um, so I think we're probably in the same boat. I think the the Giants and Washington are very comparable teams. I think we just have a much solid front four. That's why we probably have the edge. But, I mean, we, we have the same questions from an offensive uh, scheme standpoint, uh, running back play poor quarterback play and, and, and things of that nature. So I think they're pretty much the same team. It's just, you know, we just have a, a more solid front four. Yeah, your front four is frightening. And, uh, yeah, I can definitely see an avenue to where Washington wins this game. I don't think the Giants should be favored or anything ridiculous like that. It's just something, a feeling I have that I feel like the Giants are going to come out a little bit stronger in this matchup. I don't necessarily think the Giants are all that good of a football team. I think Washington's probably a better football team, but without Ryan Fitzpatrick. It, well, let me ask you this. Is Taylor Heineke a turnover-prone guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick? Um, he hasn't really had that opportunity to – I mean, he's had yeah. some 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 crazy throws where you can't believe he got away with it. But um, we're talking about seven quarters, I think, of Taylor Heineke, really. We haven't seen much of him, and that's, that's kind of where we're at. Like, we're literally in limbo with that man. Um, and, but what I will say, I guess, from a, from a passing standpoint, uh, he does know where he wants to go to the, he does know where he wants to go with the football. Um, he's, he, he is decisive. He gets the ball out quick. Um, he, it's, it's hard to see how much time, how many times he's been challenged. Cause he's been, he's been making a lot of good throws. Um, but who really has film on him? Like he, he's really just executing within the offense and whatever Scott wants him to do. But uh, until he has that opportunity, like today, or excuse me, Thursday, excuse me, uh, when he'll have that opportunity where somebody has a game plan, they know he's starting, he's going to be there all four quarters. Can he, can he show it? Can he show up uh, against a team who kind of has a full game on him now uh, in a few, a few quarters. So uh, we'll see. I, I do think I was going to mention 97 to 99 for the Giants. 
uh the interior offensive line for washington if these guys they have the potential 97 to 99 have the potential to make uh, a really long day for for that that offensive line for the, the washington football team um i, I saw it like we we know that the the defense for the Giants hasn't necessarily wasn't necessarily all that great against the Broncos, but if there was some people that was constantly in the backfield, it was those two, um, and they looked yeah. really good. So um, that's one thing that I'm keen on up front. Uh, if they can wreak the game or wreak havoc on the game, then uh, that's kind of where you guys stand a chance in terms of uh, just neutralizing the offense from the get go. Whatever game plan we have, so that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, that's that's how the Giants are going to win this football game. If they're going to win it, it's going to be through that interior pressure from Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. And then the back end, if the coverage can actually hold up, which I feel like the talent is there, just did not happen against the Broncos. And again, credit to Shermer and, and Teddy Bridgewater for that. Hopefully it gets rectified against uh, you guys. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I get it. Good luck. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, good luck. That's too. But absolutely. So, Nick, man, I appreciate you joining us. Before we get up out of here, just go ahead and, and one more time, plug plug everything that you got going on where the people can see, hear, um, and, and, and listen to you and all that good stuff, man. So uh, let the people know. I appreciate you for joining us tonight, Mills. No problem. Thank you for having me, by the way. You guys can find me on Twitter at Nick Falato. That's F-A-L-A-T-O. I host a, um, I co-host a podcast with CBS's Dan Schneier. It's called Big Blue Banter. We focus on the all 22 film of the New York Giants break it down really in depth and kind of give an evaluatory state of how the Giants played from the Nexus and O's standpoint and from a player evaluation standpoint. You can also find my writing for the Giants at Giants Country Sports Illustrated and uh, Big Blue View for SB Nation. Absolutely. All right, uh, Nick, man, be safe. All that good stuff, man. And, and best of luck to you uh, come Thursday uh, against the rivals uh, at the Washington football team. Boss, man. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Take care. All right, Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.